Welcome to this edition of the SNC Critical Insights Podcast. I'm Melissa Sawyer, Global Head of MA here at SNC, and I'm here with Lauren Bumpke, a partner in SNC's MA group, and Susan Lindsay, an MA associate. They both work with me on a variety of MA, corporate governance, and shareholder activism matters. We recently analyzed shareholder activism activity and data in 2022, and we wanted to share some of our findings with you including some of the key trends that we've witnessed and expect will continue into 2023. One of the biggest developments in 2022 was the sheer number of campaigns launched. The first quarter saw record-breaking activity levels, with activism activity in the second and third quarters remaining elevated, although it was then more in line with pre-pandemic levels. The most noteworthy aspect of the surge in activity is that it happened despite market volatility and the general macroeconomic uncertainty that in 2021 and 2020, we saw actually dampened activity levels. So it seems like activists this year were no longer deterred by the turbulent markets. Lauren, have activists adapted to these macroeconomic conditions in other ways? Yes. As you would expect, activists did change the nature of their demands to adapt to the macroeconomic environment. Campaigns targeting corporate strategies and operations, such as demands related to cutting costs, and management changes significantly increased throughout the year. In contrast, campaigns that focused on capital allocations, like demands to return cash to shareholders, which increase in popularity during bull markets, generally declined. We did see a brief uptick in M&A and capital allocation campaigns over the summer when market conditions temporarily rebounded, heading into the 2023 proxy season with higher interest rates, slower M&A markets, and new laws and regulatory proposals such as the Inflation Reduction Act that will all impact market conditions. We may see a continued reduction or at least a shift in activist campaigns that are focused on M&A and capital allocation theses. To give one example, there may be a potential shift to a focus on breakups or divestitures rather than whole company sales in M&A type campaigns. So on the other side of the coin, Melissa, how have companies generally responded to the market volatility and also these elevated activism activity levels? Well, I think we've seen more companies pushing back and resisting activist demands. For example, we saw a surge in the number of shareholder rights plans that were adopted throughout the year. Not as many as we saw in the spring of 2020 when companies feared that they were going to become the targets of hostile takeovers when their share prices were so depressed at the outset of the pandemic. But we still saw a bunch of them this year. We also saw companies less willing to settle with activists, and the companies that did agree to settle seemed to reach those settlements more slowly, so it took them longer to reach agreement with the activists. And did this greater resistance by companies appear to have any impact on activist success levels throughout the year? Yes, activist overall success rates decreased as compared to recent years. In this context, we measure success by the number of board seats obtained, understanding, of course, that there are different ways to define success here. Interestingly, 
the lower success rate was achieved despite activists reaching higher levels of support from the institutional investors and proxy advisors. There are a number of factors that we believe likely contributed to this, including, first, that there were more campaigns launched against large cap companies this year who have more resources to spend defending the activists, as Melissa was just mentioning. Second, there were fewer settlement agreements between companies and activists, which have historically served as the most common means for an activist to gain board seats. And third, we saw an increase in split vote recommendations, meaning that ISS and Glass-Lewis recommended that shareholders vote differently in the campaign. In no cases this season did an activist win board seats with a stockholder vote without at least partial support from both ISS and Glass-Lewis, which we found interesting. Thanks, Lauren. And you mentioned the fact that activists received more support from some institutional investors and proxy advisors this year. Melissa, should companies expect activists to receive similar levels of support in future years? Well, the short answer is we don't know. There have been a couple of developments in the last year that could have a significant impact on institutional investor voting behaviors in 2023 and beyond. For example, BlackRock and Vanguard both recently adopted what we call pass-through voting policies. And those are intended to give retail investors the ability to direct how the fund votes their underlying shares. So that could make the institutional votes in proxy contests less predictable because the underlying investors may not vote in alignment with the institutional investors' published policies, for example. But it's too soon to tell, and some of the proxy solicitors are telling us that not a lot of retail investors are actually taking advantage of pass-through voting yet. In addition, the SEC just recently adopted amendments to form NPX, and that requires some investment funds to disclose more about their voting records. Having those sorts of disclosures out there could increase public pressure on the funds to support campaigns that are viewed favorably by their investors. And that could include ESG-friendly campaigns and lead to higher support in some cases. But again, we don't really know how that's going to shake out yet. And I think we need to see what happens in the 2023 proxy season before we can form a conclusion on that. Now, we were talking about how activists have changed the nature of their demands this year. Susan, are there other shifts in activism tactics that we should be thinking about for 2023? Absolutely. So for starters, we saw a considerable uptick in the number of campaigns that really focused on ESG critiques. These campaigns can be very successful as evidenced by Engine Number One's campaign at Exxon last year because they can enable an activist to appeal to a wider stakeholder base, such as ESG funds. However, Carla Kahn's unsuccessful proxy contest for two board seats at McDonald's, which centered solely on the ESG issue of animal welfare and received the support of only 1% of McDonald's stockholders, demonstrated the importance of having an underlying economic thesis in ESG-related campaigns. Last year, we also discussed how companies that went public via a DSPAC transaction could become attractive targets for activists in the future. And we saw that beginning to play out this year. Many DSPAC companies have structural defenses, such as classified boards, 
and founder-controlled stock that have typically insulated companies from activist campaigns because they make it harder for an activist to initiate meaningful changes through a proxy contest or a threat of a proxy contest. However, the significant underperformance by many DSPAC companies over the last year has led some activists to start targeting these entities, despite them having these strong structural defenses. This suggests that strong defenses may be less of a deterrent for activists if a company's stock has declined sharply, which could impact companies with dual-class structures or classified board companies beyond just DSPACs. Thanks, Susan. So another point as we look ahead to 2023 is that we know that the universal proxy rules have been top of mind for a lot of issuers. Lauren, do you want to talk a little bit about how those new rules could impact activist campaigns? Sure. So to start with a bit of background, the universal proxy rules, which went into effect on September 1st, 2022, mandate the use of one proxy card that lists both the companies and the dissidents, nominees, and contested director elections. And that will allow stockholders to pick and choose nominees from both slates when they vote, which replicates the process that you would have for voting at an annual meeting. From our perspective, the most significant requirement imposed on activists under these new rules is an obligation to solicit a minimum of 67% of the company's voting power in connection with its campaign at its own expense. However, because activists can satisfy this requirement through the notice and access model of delivering proxy materials, which basically amounts to mailing stockholders a postcard with a website link, and then rely on the company's solicitation efforts thereafter to get their proxy cards around, these new rules will generally make it less time-consuming and expensive for an activist to conduct a proxy contest. It's still too early to tell exactly what impact these new rules will have on proxy contests going forward, considering the limited number of proxy contests that to date are being run under these new rules. But some general themes that we do expect to see are that universal proxy rules may result in one, more campaigns launched by smaller, less resourced, or first-time activists, including groups that have historically submitted and relied on Rule 14 shareholder proposals to advance their agendas. Also, activists achieving higher rate of partial success may result from the rules because this new pick-and-choose model will make it easier for them to get one or two board seats at the same time, on the flip side of the token, that would make it more difficult for them to gain control of a board. And third, we expect to see a greater focus on individual directors and director qualifications in proxy contest campaigns because it will be easy for activists to target replacing specific directors who they can tout as underperforming or unqualified and as a result, companies that are defending these proxy contests will need to focus on making sure that the individual qualifications of all of their directors up for election are highlighted. And this is actually something that you can start now and early, even on a clear day before a proxy contest arises. Thanks, Lauren. And Susan, I'm going to give you the last word. 
Is there anything else that companies should be thinking about as they head into the 2023 proxy season? Yes. So looking ahead, we expect activism activity levels to remain high in 2023 and beyond. However, certain new and proposed developments could impact the nature of such campaigns and how companies respond to them, including, for example, the DOJ's enhanced scrutiny of Section 8 of the Clayton Act, which prohibits officers and directors from simultaneously serving as officers and directors of two competing companies. Over the last few months, we've seen the DOJ bring a number of enforcement actions and investigations in connection with Section 8. And this, going forward, will increase the importance of assessing such issues at the outset when reviewing future activist nominees slash appointees. Another important development is the upcoming implementation of the Inflation Reduction Act and also the SEC's proposed rules on share buybacks, both of which could result in a shift in activist capital allocation demands, as share buybacks have historically been one of the most common demands and now they may become less attractive. And the third potentially important development for issuers to keep in mind are the SEC's proposed amendments to Schedule 13D, which could impact activism strategies, as well as the mechanics of existing and future shareholders' rights plans, particularly based on how those amendments would impact the definition of beneficial ownership. Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more detail on the trends and developments that we have discussed today, please check out the 2022 edition of our annual activism memo that's available now on our website, www.sulcrom.com. Mm-hmm.